Blog Talk Radio. again to hear from one of the most relevant authors on the planet. Today, David Pogue will talk to us about his book, How to Prepare for Climate Change. And I'm going to forego my normal rant here every show. I don't need it. I'm simply going to read you the very first words you will encounter in David Pogue's excellent and thorough guide into the future. Here they are. Maybe you're liberal. Maybe you're conservative. Maybe you think the climate crisis is man-made. Maybe you think it's just natural cycles. Maybe you think the whole thing is a Chinese hoax. Guess what? It doesn't matter. The world is getting hotter. Natural systems are going haywire, and you should begin to prepare. Even if we stopped burning fossil fuels and chopping down forests tomorrow, we wouldn't stop climate change. We wouldn't stop land ice from melting. Millions of people from enduring forced migration. Thousands of animal species from going extinct. And thousands of people from dying every year from insane weather events that are hitting steadily more frequently. That's because 93% of our new improved heat has gone into the oceans, which take decades or centuries to heat up or cool down. As a result, the planet's climate would take a lifetime to reset. In short, the time for bickering about who or what is at fault is long gone. Welcome, David Pogue. Well, thank you. Well read, sir. (laughs) The full title of your book is How to Prepare for Climate Change, A Practical Guide to Surviving the Chaos. It totally amazed me. I, I think you thought of everything. (laughs) <laughs> well, that was the idea. It was a fu- it was a funny story that this book wasn't even my idea. I actually had pro- proposed a different book to Simon and Schuster, and their head of nonfiction said, "Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll do that. We'll do a two book deal. First, we want you to do this book. Let's see how this grabs you. How to prepare for climate change." And the minute she said that, I just I, I was like, "Oh my gosh, yes, could be." where to live and how to insure and how to build your house and how to invest, what to grow in your garden, how to talk to your kids. I mean, all of this just came out of my mouth at that second, and that became the book. That title and those topics, it was, it was all in concrete in the first two minutes. Yeah, before we get into it, let me establish your bona fides with the listeners David Pogue is, above all, I think, a tech guy. He graduated from Yale with, of all things, a music degree. He has conducted and arranged Broadway musicals. He has hosted Nova specials on PBS, spent years as a columnist for the New York Times. He's been a part of CBS Sunday Mornings for almost 20 years. He's won many awards, including an Emmy, has written numerous books. The pictures you see of him are all of a smiling, pleasant-faced man, but folks, this is a serious guy. And I'm thinking, David, this book may be your most serious endeavor. No question about it. It is uh, my first foray into, uh, I mean, a serious um, and general audience book. It's not, uh, you know, how to use your iPhone. It's, It's how to survive and how to make your your home and your family more likely to escape unscathed. Yeah, and and you point out that that we've really got uh that I mean uh, as as we pointed out at the beginning it's it's too late to change anything. This is all going to be happening. So you point out that there's there's three choices uh to 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 deal with all of this. Uh, one of them is mitigation. One is adaptation. And the third is suffering. Yeah, this is this is my famous quote. This this actually I found on my first day of research, and it it really defined what the book is. 
It's a quote by John Holdren. He was Barack Obama's chief science advisor. And he told the New York Times in response to climate change, those are the three choices. Mitigation, which means trying to stop climate change, you know, lower our carbon footprint. Um, Adaptation, which is accepting that some things have already changed and we need to make ourselves more resilient and suffering. And he said, we're going to do some of each. The question is what the mix is going to be. So to my great astonishment, there are hundreds of books about mitigation. I mean, we have heard it and heard it and heard it. Uh, Fly less, eat less red meat, buy an electric car, turn off lights when you're not in the room. And, And that's all really important. We all need to do all of that as hard and fast as we can. But there wasn't a single book about the second part of his equation, the adaptation. I mean, nothing's been written about it for individuals and families. I mean, I would say that, you know, in industries and governments are really into adaptation. That's why they're building seawalls and breeding new seeds that, that grow in the hotter, drier climate. Um, but nobody talks about what individuals can do. So that was the, the hole that I saw that was worth filling. It's really too bad that we can't get governments uh, into actual mitigation. <laughs> well, slowly but surely, right? We have uh, a new president who cares a lot about mitigation. Yeah, yeah, he does, and and hopefully, hopefully, it'll make some difference, uh, some difference anyway. Uh, just, just a definition here. Uh, some people may be still confused about climate and weather. And uh, I, I thought that the, the, the best point that, that you made about that, that climate is the average of weather. Yeah, that's right. Weather is something we measure from hour to hour, maybe day to day. Climate is a much longer term measurement. It's, it's months or years of, of measurements. So uh, there's a really cool YouTube video. I, I almost put a picture of it in the, in the book. It's of... Um, a guy walking his dog, and it's an overhead view of the path. The path that the guy takes is climate. It's a straight line from one end of the park to the other. The path that the dog takes is weather. It's all over the place. It's back and forth and sniffing and stopping and retreating and going forward. So that's, that's the difference. So, you know, that, that Senator Inhofe, who made a, a fool of himself in 2015 when he he brought a snowball into Congress and said, don't tell me yeah. there's global warming. Now, yeah. I mean, that, that's a, a, a distinction that he completely missed. A few of the a few things I'll, I'll point out as we go uh, that, that caught my eye. Uh, you've, you've got a, a, a quote from Al Gore, which I had not heard before, which, which uh, I thought was oh, extremely apropos, uh, that we, uh, we're, we're actually we're using the sky like an open sewer. Yeah, it, it's absolutely right. I mean, we, we Westerners look down on poor countries like India for just dumping their trash out into the street or pouring their industrial sludge right out into the water supply, but we are, in fact, doing exactly the same thing with the atmosphere. I mean, the, the argument, as I'm sure you know, is that uh, when we superimpose the graphs of this historic spike in CO2 that began in about 1850 with the temperature of the earth, the graphs overlay almost perfectly. So that's why scientists think the two are related. And we, it's because in the industrial revolution, we figured out this new, more efficient way to power our machines and heat our homes and generate electricity, which is burning stuff burning fossil fuels, coal, oil, gas. Um, and it does produce, unfortunately, the side effect of, of, car- of carbon emissions that blanket the planet and trap the heat. So uh, we were so excited about this invention, we didn't really think about the, the side effects of it. And now we're <laughs> having to confront that. Uh, speaking of graphs, your book has, uh, is replete 
with with graphs. You have many graphs uh, uh, that that explain and and demonstrate uh, the points that you're making. And uh, one of the things that I noticed, which of course goes with the subject that we're on, is that not one of those graphs was going the right direction. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The uh, well, I wouldn't say none of them. I mean, the, the graphs of temperature. There's you know, there's a graph of the temperature of the Earth, the temperature of the oceans the pollution going up, um, but there are also some really promising graphs, as, as you know, having admirably read the whole book, <laughs> nicely done. Uh, there's a, a chapter at the end called uh, Where to Find Hope, and it shows some of the graphs that are going in the right direction, one of which is yeah. in the United States, our carbon emissions are actually dropping in a, a really visible way. Unfortunately, it's not because we're all becoming good environmental citizens and burning less. Uh, it's just that we have largely switched to burning natural gas, coal, which is, you know, on balance, uh, something that produces fewer emissions. But we do need to decarbonize completely. We do need to move completely to solar, wind, and nuclear, things that don't pump carbon into the atmosphere. Um, we, we need to stop burning is, everything. Yeah. Except yeah, for burning, hydrogen. Not a good, not a good system long term for the Earth. No, um, and I also got to say that the other encouraging things are the graphs of solar and wind power adoption. Um, yeah. Last year, I guess what is it? Seventy-five percent of all new electricity capacity in the United States came from solar and wind. It's really thrilling, and it's because their prices have crashed. I mean, solar power is. So cheap to produce compared with 20 years ago, and it's happened 50 years sooner than any expert had predicted. People thought it would take a lot longer for solar panels to get this cheap. So now, in, in many places, it's actually cheaper to install a whole new solar farm than just to keep running an existing coal plant. I mean, that's the, the dramatic difference. So uh, those are some good news bits, too. Uh, yeah, and the the, uh, the 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 trouble is associated with that is that everything is happening a lot faster than uh, science thought it was going to. Every every new study that comes out on uh, ice melting, you know, in Antarctica or Greenland or something like that, each new study finds that it's melting even faster. Then the last study found it was melting. Yeah, it's the, the funny thing about the the planet heating up is that it heats up more toward the poles. So Alaska heats up a lot faster than Tennessee, for example, and that's where all of our ice is, and that's why, uh, as you say, the ice is melting, the, the glaciers are calving, and. I'm sure that anyone, any of your listeners who know climate already knows this, but the bigger problem with the melting ice is not just that it's a thermometer for how we're heating the earth. It's also that ice is white and it reflects the sun mm -hmm. and it helps maintain the cooler temperatures. When ice melts in the ocean, it's replaced by black water, which yep. absorbs heat. So you're replacing something that reflects heat with something that absorbs heat. That, that's why some of the more out there suggestions, you know, um, spraying reflective dust in the atmosphere, things like that, uh, that's why those suggestions come to pass because we need more reflection of the heat back out into space. I, I don't think any of those things will work, by the way, but that's why that conversation arises. I think that's a crazy idea, and, and we're going to get to that because I'm, I don't know if we want to go in order here or not. I, I, let me just list your very quickly your your chapters because you you uh, the, the number one is acclimatizing or acclimating to uh, climate change, and I, I want to talk about pre pre traumatic stress because I've definitely got that, uh, and 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 hmm. then uh, where where to live, how to build, what to grow where to invest, how to ensure protecting your children, uh, preparing for flood, preparing for heat waves, preparing for drought, hurricanes, tornadoes, preparing for wildfires, preparing for mosquitoes and ticks, which is actually a 
pretty serious chapter, preparing for social breakdown, preparing your business. I, really, I don't think you missed anything. And then, and then, where to find hope? You, you know, you 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 definitely give us a, a few positives that are going on with with a lot of the the corporate activity and, and things like that. So, I, I guess I don't know. Uh, we'll, I guess we'll just take this as, as it comes. But I, I do want to talk about your your uh, you're talking about like ecotherapy, people who need ecotherapy. Well, that means you're normal. Uh, climate despair, uh, 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 and, and then the action antidote, uh, w- which I think is what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is. You know, uh, th- this is this is what I know how to do, and and I need to do something. So so this is what I'm doing to to overcome my my climate despair. Uh, you, there, there's an interesting well, just a quote from the book about pre-traumatic stress stems from despair for our world before it has even finished becoming uninhabitable. It's anxiety, panic, despair, and mourning over the planet's ruined future. It's a depression that's made worse by the sense that nobody seems to be doing anything about it. I'll tell you, that describes me. Ah, yeah, and me too. I mean, that, that describes so many people. It's uh, especially in the last four years, which is, of course, when I was writing this book, and it felt like our country had totally withdrawn from taking any action. And, you know, we heard that the words climate change were being scrubbed from all the federal websites and things like that. It was, yeah. it was really depressing. It was. The, the action antidote you described is, is what I learned. By the way, I'm not an expert on any of the topics you just identified, you know, investment or insurance or real estate. This this book was a an exercise in reporting. So I interviewed yeah. all these fifty five experts and you know what they told me about depression and um despair is that in many cases this depression is not just feeling like you're in a terrible situation. It's feeling like your life is terrible and you're helpless to do anything about it. It's that feeling of learned helplessness that makes it especially bad and that's why the antidote is doing something about it and that's that's Mm -hmm. exactly what you're doing with this show and what i'm doing by writing the book it's doing something and it doesn't have to be media related it could be you know signing a petition or joining a group or uh reading articles to your kids or um you know, making making an effort an effort to mitigate your your carbon footprint and so on. There are things you can do, little steps um, that just make you feel better about the bad situation. I I remember reading about this amazing study in a prison where you know mental health is a real problem among inmates, of course, and part of it is that they have had all control over their circumstances removed. So they did an experiment where they allowed one guy each week to arrange the chairs for movie night. And that tiny bit of control over the environment actually made a difference in their mental health and their depression. It was amazing. So even small steps that you make toward addressing climate change or addressing your response to it make you sleep better at night. And your book is going to help uh, anyone who reads it in that regard, because you, 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 uh, you try and answer the question, "What can the common citizen do?" You've, and and one of the things that that I want to laud you about about your book is you have throughout your book, you have uh, earls, you have you have uh, addresses for websites that goes directly to the the instance that you're talking about at that that point in time i mean you you you've got you've got gov track here you can go find out about your your uh, your your representatives and your senators uh, uh you 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 you've got vote smart so you can look up records uh and histories of votes uh uh and 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 you, and you mentioned and you we were talking about the other thing i didn't i didn't realize that that there already exist eco grief support groups. Yeah, yeah. As there should. I mean, this is not something that 
affects only a few, <laughs> you know, elitists on the coast. This is this is a global phenomenon. Yeah, and and you and you also mentioned several other things that people can do to to help their their despair. You know, get a dose of nature, get outside. Uh, just deep breathing exercises. I mean, you 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 went down so far to the details. It was amazing. The, and and I found it interesting the worry hour. Yeah. And and by the way, I have to say these some of these things may sound a little earthy, crunchy uh, to to some people, but all of them are backed by research. All of them are backed by studies among different groups. You know, they tried tried it with high school students, they tried it with veterans, they tried it with older folks. Yeah, the worry hour I love. Um, the idea is you're going to set aside an authorized time every day, let's say four in the afternoon, when you can just sit there and wallow, where you are allowed to feel miserable and contemplate the worst that could happen and worry about everything. Now, the flip side is that any other time of day, you are not allowed to. You say, I'm going to hold this off till 4 p.m. tomorrow. And yeah. that, that way, you're not immersed in these negative thoughts all day and all night. You have given yourself an allotted time to feel the full force of it. But during the other 23 hours, you're allowed to feel good about yourself. And it, it truly works. I mean, they've, they've done research. It really works to help people. Well, you know, you know, there have been articles recently uh, in in the news about uh, climate havens, about some cities in the north where uh, they expect a lot of people that will be migrating to away from some of the troubled areas where the weather is has just gotten terrible, where the flooding is is now incessant. Uh, uh, your, your your suggestions are uh, rule number one. Get away from the oceans. Rule number two: Move north. Rule three: Find fresh water. Uh, and uh, I, what I what I was um, uh, intrigued by was the map that you had of the 42nd parallel. You've got a line drawn essentially through the center of the United States, east to west, and south of there. Uh, is becoming a don't-want-to-be-there zone, and north of there <laughs> is where you're suggesting people move to. Yeah, that's absolutely right. There's, there's no uh, completely safe place in the United States to escape the effects of the climate crisis, but as you say, the west half of the United States, that's where the wildfires are, and increasingly, that's where the droughts are. The, the western half oh of the country is in more or less perpetual state of drought. The aquifers, yeah. these big underground storehouses of water, are at historic low levels. Um, we, a lot of the western states get their water from snowmelt, from the snowpack high up on, in the mountains. And now that the winters are so short and so warm, there isn't snowpack up there to melt. And even the dams, like the, the Hoover Dam created this giant lake called Lake Mead that gives people in Nevada and California their water. Um, Have you seen the pictures? Oh, man. It's down to a third full. It's yeah. dropped 120 feet since 2000. I mean, it's just, it's just going away. So, so yeah, so that's, that's the problem with the western half of the country, that the eastern half has the hurricanes, the sea level rise, the ticks and mosquitoes, and then the south, also hurricanes, but also the heat is becoming unlivable. I mean, in Phoenix... They, they carry uh, oven mitts in their glove compartments because the steering wheel is too hot to touch when they get into the car. So, yeah, so the, the solution to all of this is, as you say, above the 42nd parallel, the Great Lakes region in particular, they've got yep. the Great Lakes. They've got fresh water, yeah. drinking water forever. And they don't have hurricanes and they don't have wildfires. And they're far from the heat waves and the ticks. So... Uh, some of the great old cities, you know, Cleveland, Madison, Duluth, Buffalo, Syracuse, are, are poised for a comeback, say my experts. And, and by the way, I should, I should make clear, obviously not everybody can move. Not everybody wants to move. So this advice is more for the 40 million Americans a year who do move. Increasingly, climate is, is a 
factor when they're considering where to go or which of two job offers to take and so on. And there's so many people that can't afford to move and will never be able to, and we'll we'll get to that. Uh, uh, but I mean, you you so, you, you break down. Just uh, let me list a few of the things I put down, just as as details uh, that that you list that you cover in this book. Because as far as I'm concerned, this this uh, are, you, are you familiar with the whole Earth catalog? Yeah, you ever heard of the whole? The whole, you yeah. you have essentially produced here a new whole Earth catalog uh, for for climate change, and and I th- I think people are going to need it. I think a lot of people are going to need it on their shelves uh, uh, going forward. Uh, you break down generators. You talk about their cost and their wattage. You talk about home batteries, solar panels and rebates, uh, inline water storage, the rain catchment, just the rain barrels and things like that. Uh, you, you, you point out how important it is in, in flood-prone areas. Uh, one of the things you can do to, to, to avoid uh, serious problems is move your electrical so that it never, you know, even if the place floods, your electrical isn't damaged. Uh, you talk about as simple things as, as backflow valves to, to keep uh, sewage from, from backing up into the house uh, uh, and you and you and I, and I see you tr- you've you've tried to to create a new a new term here, which I don't know if it's going to catch on or not. Uh, you call it all global weirding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. I think the term global warming is sort of problematic because, as with our friend with the snowball in Congress, it makes people think that what we're worried about is a warmer planet, you know, hotter summers, milder winters, which doesn't sound all that bad. The problem is that it's disrupting all these natural systems, right? It, it, means, it means blistering heat waves and crazy snowstorms in Texas, like we just had. It means droughts and it means crazy flooding. It, it, it's water shortages and, you know, uh, drowning the fields in, in Nebraska so they can't grow anything. So it's, it's all these natural... Oh, and by the way, it's a whole bunch of weird secondary and tertiary effects that you might not immediately grasp how they relate to climate change. You know, smaller goats, more expensive chocolates, um, more kidney stones, uh, yeah. rise in bar fights. I mean, weird stuff. So that, yeah, so that's why yeah. I like the term global weirding it's or or climate breakdown i've heard also it just it just means the traditional natural systems are kind of going haywire but for anyone who owns your book they're going to they're going to have the important tiny details but important details like uh if you live in a wildfire area uh you you better check your driveway because if a fire truck cannot turn around in your driveway they will not come to save your house Exactly right. Exactly right. And who thinks about that? And also having yeah. your street address number well lit and visible from the street. The fire truck, the fire department can't save every house. That's a given. So they're going to save the ones that are easiest and most realistic to be saved. And that's largely up to you to give them access. Yeah. And, 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 and on, on gardening, uh, you you point out that that uh, uh, well there's swales there's trenching there's French drains there's rain gardens and and you bring back thank goodness the idea of bringing everybody you know hey there's an extension office somewhere around you they know stuff yeah your government at work I never knew about these extension offices but they're in every state and they're just there to help you grow stuff i mean you can take a picture of some pest with your phone and send it to them and they'll tell you what it is and how to get rid of it it's yeah i i have to say that the gardening chapter i found fantastic i talked to to so many experts who love talking about gardening and you know on the on the back of every packet of seeds is a usda map it's it's these color bands across the united states 
that show the growing yeah. zones. Zones. What, what mm-hmm. can, exactly. And that, those bands have shifted north. So that yes. the seeds that you used to grow in Kentucky now grow in Michigan. You know, it's, it's really a strange new world. Uh, so, yeah, so I, man, I love that chapter so much. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, there's so many, there's so many chapters where you, you covered things that nobody even thought of. Uh, I wouldn't have thought of even looking at sustainable investing. But you point out that uh, sustainable stocks have done better than the stock market average in the, for the past five years. Oh, man, so much. If you if you'd put a thousand bucks in the into clean energy stocks five years ago, you'd be up 60 percent right now. And if you'd put them into the regular energy indexes like the petroleum stocks, you'd be down 12 percent. So, the, you know, the argument for clean investing is not only greed, like you'll do well, but also you are, in effect, helping the problem because you're investing in companies that themselves are dedicated to cleaner power and cleaner operations. So it's, it's kind of a no-lose thing for anyone who does do investing. I'd never heard of ESCOs, energy savings companies. <laughs> Isn't this cool? These are these companies, it's mainly for, you know, not for homes, but for, for businesses. But they'll come in, they'll give you a free energy makeover. They'll upgrade your boilers and redo the wiring and install solar and put in energy-efficient appliances all for free. And in exchange, all they ask is that you let them collect part of the energy savings over the next seven or ten years. So in other words, if, you're, if your business used to pay $100,000 a year for fuel and electricity and now you're only paying 20000 a year, you split the savings with the, with the ESCO. Uh, what a cool business. It's, it's literally a win-win-win. Really, really. And, and moving to insurance, uh, you, 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 you definitely make a lot of points there about, you know, I think most people by now do understand that their basic homeowner's insurance doesn't cover flooding, but, but still there's a lot of people that, that don't know that. Uh, you point out the number of flood insurance claims has more than quintupled since uh, 2013, and the size of those claims have gone up over uh, uh, 300%. Uh, uh, and, and another thing that I was not aware of was the public adjuster. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, the flooding thing. Listen, listen. I, I spent a whole summer on, on the insurance chapter. Uh, my wife says I'm a gas at parties. I can monopolize the conversation for an hour about national flood insurance programs uh, but it, it really is fascinating so here's one of the most stunning things i learned in the entire project seven of the ten most flooded states in the u.s as determined by the number of federal disaster areas are not coastal they are inland states which makes no sense at all um and yet it's because in the new climate era, we have this alternation of drought, which makes the ground hard and dry, followed by crazy intense rain. rains that now the rain can't go anywhere. So we get rivers overflowing their banks. We get the dams bursting in Michigan last year. Um, we get flooded out fields. Uh, so, yeah. And, and the thing is, as you say, homeowners insurance does not cover flood, flooding damage um and over the last couple decades all the insurance companies like Allstate and nationwide and all that they've gotten out of the business of flood insurance they won't sell it to you it's just a bad bet for their profits i mean they're going they're going to lose money so the government in the 70s created this thing called the national flood insurance program to give you something to back yourself up and that program now supplies 95% of all flood insurance in the country, and that program is $25 billion in debt because of all the hurricanes. They just can't keep up. And it's, it's kind of a – the whole program is kind of 
disastrous for a long list of reasons. Um, supposedly, they're, they're going to overhaul it this October if Congress can find the spine to do it. Um, and this is like way in the weeds, but this is one of the things that I think is so interesting. For years, the government has chosen your rates for this flood insurance based on historical flooding patterns and your whole neighborhood, not, not the elevation of your yard, but like the whole area. So the, the rates are really off from what they should be. And they never raise them, by the way. They never raise your rates, even if you keep getting flooded and keep filing claims. It's not like car insurance, where if you have an accident, they raise your rates. And so part of what this new program will do this fall is it will let the, the insurance rates go to where they should be, market rates, based on your risk. So think about it. What that means is that half the people will discover that they've been paying too little for decades, and their rates will suddenly leap up, and they will be furious, and they'll write their congresspeople, and they'll <laughs> vote them out of office. But the other half will find that their rates will drop because they've been paying too much, and they'll be furious because why have you been overcharging me for decades? I hate you, Congress. <laughs> David, so it's just David. A no David, I, I agree with your no wife. I'm, we're we're, we're going to move on. <laughs> I agree with your wife. <laughs> you see what I mean? But it's yeah. interesting. Uh, on, on, your, on, your, on your chapter, Protecting the Children, or Protecting Your Children, I, 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 I've got something here that I was just I was astounded by, just astounded. And, and I need you to really tell me this is true. In, in one survey, a quarter of children, ages 10 to 14, reported that they believe that the world will end during their lifetimes. They feel about the threat of climate change much the way their parents or grandparents felt about the nuclear threat at the height of the Cold War, a nagging, overhanging sense of dread? A quarter? That's right. The, yeah. The, the, you know, as a parent, my gut would say, don't tell the kids how bad things are because why make them miserable? And I interviewed five child therapists for this book, and all of them told me the same thing is that my approach is wrong. You have to be straight with them. You have to tell them the truth because they're hearing it at school. They're finding it out from YouTube. They're getting the news. So if you're pretending that there's no problem then or minimizing the problem, they will suspect you. They will think that the problem is even worse than everybody's telling them because why would my parents be so weird about it? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, kids already know the score. And they already want you to acknowledge it and start taking action. And yet fewer than half of U.S. schools teach anything at all about climate change. Yeah, it's, it's forbidden in the predictable states. <sighs> okay, so ready for anything. Uh, you, you had something in your book. You say, here's your homework for tonight. Sign up for your city's emergency alerts. Yeah, the, the really tragic thing for me when I read about the hurricanes and the wildfires is these people who died in their homes because they never got word. They just didn't have the TV on. They weren't online. They didn't find out that this wildfire was bearing down or that the flood levels were rising. And so there's two ways to fix that. Your city probably has what they call a reverse 911 system. It calls you in an emergency to warn you to evacuate. And if you don't sign up for that, you'll never get the notifications. Google it, you know, uh, Minneapolis emergency notification, whatever the city is. And the second thing that every one of your listeners can do right now for free is to download this American Red Cross app called Emergency. It is truly a brilliant app. You put in your address, you know, your kid's address, your grandkid's address, and then you can forget about this app. You file it away in some folder on your phone. You never look at it again until a disaster is coming. It tracks something like 45 different kinds of disasters, both natural and man-made, you know, chemical spills and nuclear leaks. 
and it will warn you. It will give you early warning. It starts beeping. It flags the problem coming. It will get your attention. It will spring to life one day when you've forgotten all about it. You, you always see those aerial pictures of cars winding their way out of town when there's a wildfire or a flood. You don't yep. want to be at the back end of that line. <laughs> this, is, this is how you get early warning, and it's, it's free and it's simple. And the app also contains things like the locations of Red Cross shelters, first aid, and, and that stuff doesn't require an Internet connection. A lot of times the cell towers go down in these natural disasters. So really great app, totally free. Why not get it? Other important uh, details that you give to us in, 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 in this regard is to make sure that all of your emergency contact numbers are not just in your phone but also are somewhere on paper. Yeah, exactly right. Um, you might make all the, the plans in the world right now, but a couple of years from now you may have completely forgotten them. So, yeah, dashboard, refrigerator, in the notes app of your phone, you just don't, you don't want to forget the work you've done now. What I found really interesting was proof of identity. If your house is totaled or if you're not allowed to go back to it, uh, remember Katrina, how will you prove who you are? How will you prove your relationships to your spouse, kids, even your pets? Yeah, how are you going to show that that dog is yours? Absolutely right. Um, there's a, a, a lot we can learn from Katrina. In, in Katrina... Uh, it was, it was, it was, as it was described to me, it was like being in the 1850s. There was no electricity, no hot water, no Internet, no news, no media. The police all fled their posts. So it was literally every person for himself. And in the increasing number of these disasters, that's what happens. The power goes down, the cell towers go down, and you just need to be ready. So that's, that's the premise for the entire second half of the book. It's just... Which brings us, which brings us, now. yeah, and and it brings us to to what I think is probably one of your most important pieces of advice is the go bag, or a bug out bag, a backpack, small duffel bag, packed uh, packed with your basic supplies. This reminds me of preparing for a war footing, but but with everything that's happening, it's a heck of an idea. It is, and it's it's so simple and. You know, again, don't conceal that you're making this bag from your kids. Involve them. Make it a scavenger hunt. Make it fun. And that way, everybody knows that you are taking the future seriously. You're making yourself more resilient. Um, I, I was amazed to learn that in California, this isn't news. A lot of people in California have go bags already. Um, this little backpack with a couple days' worth of supplies in the front closet. Um, and then the other advice that I would give you is tape a note to that bag of the things that you have to grab on your way out, like your medicines, your wallet, your phone charger, things that you won't be able to leave in the bag for years. Um, and that way, again, you can get out of the house quickly so you'll be at the front of that line of evacuees and not the end of it. Um, it's really a great idea. And again, it doesn't really matter where you live. Remember that the most flooded states are inland states. Yeah, and and the other things you talk about with floods is, uh, I mean, you know, you, you you talk about dry washes, you talk about king tides, you point out that that uh, floodwaters is not quite the right term. It, it, floodwaters are plus sewage, fertilizer, chemicals, fuel. Yeah, exactly right. Um, what you, you mentioned the inline water tanks. One thing that a lot of these disasters have in common is a disruption to the water supply. It gets contaminated, and they tell you not to drink it. That's true of both wildfires and superstorms. And so I was trying to, to make it clear, the old wives' tale is, you know, fill up your bathtub before a storm. And that's okay if you don't mind <laughs> drinking out of your bathtub. But there are some sources of clean, fresh water you've already got within the walls of your home, and one of them is your hot water. The heater. water you've got. The, the water heater that was a great one. That was a great one. Yeah, you've got forty or eighty gallons right there already safely in the walls of your house. So you shut off the intake at the top so it doesn't get contaminated. 
and you let it flood into a bucket at the bottom. You let it cool off, and, and there's water. Uh, you also yeah. have three or four gallons in every toilet, not not the bowl, unless you're a dog, but, you know, the, the tank <laughs> on the back. <laughs> and uh, that's good water. And then if you have two stories to your house, there's water in the pipes that, that's safe to drink. So, yeah, so you, you're already better off than you think. Uh, when we get to heat uh, and and poor communities, we, we mentioned this earlier, uh, the, the poor communities have a smaller tax base. They, they've got less green space uh, to mitigate the heat, uh, fewer resources. Uh, they're, they're also often in industrial and manufacturing districts where pollution makes the problems worse. And there's, there's a quote from someone that you have in your book. that says, so when you talk about the impacts of climate change, you have to look at it with a racial equity analysis. That's what it boils down to. Certain folks get hit first and worst and recover last. Yeah, that's right. The climate change disproportionately hits low-income areas. And, and that's, by the way, why you keep hearing Biden talk not just about a climate plan, but an equitable climate plan. That's what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about the fact that through if, – if, if your listeners don't know what redlining is, Google it. It's, it's a pretty terrifying – policy that uh, many regions in the states had decades ago that forced black families into certain areas of, of the city. And as you say, they're industrial areas, they're low-lying areas, prone to flooding, areas that, are, that don't have enough green space. And so we set this up uh, decades ago, um, and they do get hit first and worst. Um, it's, it's something that you know, the first step is recognizing it, and then the second step is doing something about it. A few more details. I, I just feel like there, there's so many details in this book. That's what this book is. It's, it's a book of, of details, and, and, and they are all uh, informational and very useful. <clears throat> just just, just pa- facts like heat is bad for medicines. Uh, the, the, uh, one thing I didn't know. Uh, that that kidney stones uh, became a, a, a common problem among soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan because of heat and and dehydration and and so in our new hotter world people are going to get more kidney stones. Oh yeah, and you're talking right now to a three-time kidney stone victim. So I I can tell you. You do not want a kidney stone. <laughs> they are, they are the, the worst pain your body can do to itself. It's, it's worse than childbirth, according to people who've had both. I've, I've had them twice. I agree with you whole, wholeheartedly. Uh, really? Oh, wow. We have a lot to talk yeah. about, you and I. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, and uh, Another detail. Whenever you put your kid in the car seat, put your wallet, purse, or phone back there, too, you're a lot less likely to walk away, forget that you've left your kid behind in a hot car. Yeah, kids do die every year trapped in the in the car. Interestingly, the reason is the greenhouse effect. It's the same exact situation that's heating the earth heats your car, which is sunlight enters, heats up the surfaces, in this case your seats. The heat tries to escape in the form of infrared energy, but can't get out, and so the interior warms. That's exactly what's happening to the planet, as happens to the car. And this, of course, applies to your dog, too, if you leave your dog in the car when you go shopping. That, that was another rabbit hole I went down that you'll, you'll also want me to stop talking about. But, you know, people, people say, well, I'll just be gone for a second. I'll leave the dog in the car, or I'll crack the window open a little bit, or uh, I'll leave the air conditioning on. All of those are flawed plans for leaving a dog in a car. Um, they all can, you know, the dog can turn the air conditioning off. The crack in the window is not enough. You might get stuck in line and not return soon enough. Dogs do die in cars. And in 11 states, it is illegal for a passerby to smash your windows if they see a dog trapped in there. So really the best solution is what Teslas do. They have a dog mode. And that is where the, the touch screen on the dashboard 
says in huge letters, I'm, I'm the dog, I'm fine, it's 70 degrees in here, the air conditioning is on. And you can simulate that effect with a, with a cardboard in your own car, just put it on the dashboard saying, you know, the air conditioning is on, everything's fine. Um, but, but the best idea is try not to leave your dog in the car when you're shopping. Yeah. You point out that 41% of all fresh water in the United States is used to cool power plants, and this is the water section. And in a drought, uh, water stops moving, rivers, creeks, and that, that creates thousands of standing pools that are just right for mosquitoes, which we'll talk about very soon. Uh, uh, but you, 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 you know, you tell people for storms and hurricanes and things like that, you've got to upgrade your garage door, prep your windows, prep your doors, reconsider whether or not you really want gravel right outside your windows. Choose a safe room. Yeah, in, in, in windstorms and hurricanes, uh, often the, the glass is what gets you. The windows blow in. Um, so a safe room would be a place that doesn't flood and doesn't have windows and on the garage doors that is a big takeaway it was for me the garage door is the weak spot of any house it is a thin piece of you know uh, of, of of wood with cracks designed in it so that it can fold up as it opens and that is the entrance point for hurricanes and wind it what happens is the wind blows up your garage like a balloon until the roof just flies right off and suddenly your house is a sitting duck. It is by far the weakest part of your house. So there are ways to reinforce those garage doors, some of which are free or cheap, but just keep it in mind that it's, it's a sitting duck. And, and moving to wildfires, they're, they're, unlike tornadoes or hurricanes, which just last hours or a couple of days, wildfires can last uh, months and uh, uh, you, you talk about something, again, I hadn't heard of before, uh, a, a, a term called wooey, which is the <laughs> wi- uh, wi- wildlife, wildland urban interface, inter- uh, areas where humans build their homes right up against wilderness, like forests and, and chaparral. And, and, and this, this brings us to, to one of my big bugaboos is just overpopulation. Yeah, we've we've been suffering more in recent years from hurricanes and and wildfires because of the cho- the choices we've made in deciding where to develop. So we're getting much smarter about it now. Now in California, they won't let you build in the wooey, which which simply means as you say developing right up against the forest. Um now there are much more much stricter regulations. Same thing, FEMA is getting much about where you can build in flood zones. But for decades, that's what we've been doing. And that's, that's why we're putting ourselves in harm's way. Um, the, the federal government has bought 50,000 people's homes and then knocked them down. The, the homes, not the people. Um, and they've, they've re- the government's realized that it's cheaper to just destroy a home and not rebuild it than to keep rebuilding it with insurance, flood after flood after flood. And that's the way we're going to have to start thinking in the future. Like we are going to have to give up some of our land to nature. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, just the last thing on wildfires is uh, somebody, uh, good, good, another good little detail, uh, and this came out of some of the things that happened in the Paradise Fire and things like that. Keep your gas tank full at all times if you live in a wildfire area or your EV batteries charged. Keep them full all the time. Yeah, I, I interviewed the mayor of Paradise. Paradise, of course, is the, the uh, town in California that, that burned 95% to the ground a couple of years ago in a wildfire. Um, there was only one road out, and... You know, it took five hours to go 10 miles to get out when everyone was evacuating. And anyone whose tank wasn't full was lost to the fire. And he said that was his one takeaway. Don't think of your gas tank as half full. Think of your gas tank as half empty and top it off because you just never know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, we we talked about mosquitoes and and uh, 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 earlier and ticks. Uh, the the your your book says the deadliest animal on earth is not the snake, rabid dogs, or sharks. It's the mosquitoes. The diseases it carries kill about 500,000 people every year, and and mosquitoes can breed in puddles as small as a bottle cap. Not only that, but the new kind in in the era of the climate chaos is Aedes aegypti. This is this nasty mosquito. In other parts of the world, it carries dengue fever, which kills tens of thousands, um, and it's now moving upward in the United States, it hit, hit Fresno, California in 2013. And it's nasty because, first of all, most females, first of all, no, mosca- no male mosquitoes bite ever, any species, only the females. But this breed, Egypti, they'll bite you five times. They're not, they're not happy with just once. And to make matters worse, the eggs they lay can be like freeze-dried. So they can lay eggs during a drought, in a perfectly dry season, any other species, that would be it for the eggs. But these things come back to life as soon as they hit moisture. At the first rain, the, the bugs' eggs are resurrected and they hatch. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we're getting more mosquitoes in more places, and they're bringing more illness of more kinds into more places. Uh, and, and the, the ticks are increasing. Yeah, they're increasing yeah, I, I because the winters are warmer and they're not they're not being frozen off and you know killed and during the winter. That's exactly right. Yeah, I live here in Connecticut. In fact, I I live 20 minutes from Old Lyme, Connecticut, for which Lyme disease is named. And uh, the, yeah, the numbers are going through the roof of of Lyme disease cases, and it's it's a disease you really don't want. It's it's hard to diagnose. It's hard to treat. There's two tests for it neither one is reliable and it's a it's a mimicker of a disease right it 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 acts like a million other diseases so no one's ever quite sure what you've got it's best to avoid it it really is (laughs) another of your uh, chapters is preparing for social breakdown and you you talk about climate migration you 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 detail such things as, as how to act if you're caught in a riot notes on tear gas rubber bullets and flashbangs and and even point out, hey, truth breakdowns happen during a disaster. So remain skeptical. Scammers and opportunists, the insurance scams, the gun questions, uh, very detailed. And then and then right to uh, preparing your your business. And you you pointed out the the a late uh, a latest uh, the most recent survey of of large businesses has found that uh, for the first time. In, in the survey's history, the greatest concern of, of businesses is now climate change. Yeah, that's right. Um, there, there's an amazing website I discovered, by the way. It's cdp.net. It used to stand for the Carbon Disclosure Project. This is a website where 10,000 of the biggest corporations have subjected themselves to this survey on how vulnerable they are to changing climate. Now, if you're an airline or a cruise ship, uh, you, you are, are, are in particular trouble because a lot of experts think that the future of climate change fighting will be some kind of carbon pricing scheme, either a carbon tax or carbon exchanges. And think about the industries that rely the most on fossil fuels, it's the airlines and the cruise ships, and they are the ones that will get hit hardest in a situation like this. But anyway, you look at, look at this, this uh, website and look up the companies. Um, there are some like Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, that are, and Google that have done amazing things to reduce their footprint. Microsoft actually intends to begin removing carbon from the atmosphere by 2030. Um, the others will be carbon neutral. But other companies on this disclosure project are licking their chops like Bayer, the drug company. They're like, we see the new expansion of mosquitoes and ticks as a great opportunity for us. It means more people getting sick, and they will need more of our drugs. We see a 35% growth opportunity. (laughs) It's just amazing. Yeah. 
You talked about aviation uh, uh, and and one of the and the problem with aviation is there's no such thing as a, as an electronic uh, uh, super jet. Uh, but but uh, uh, don't you think hydrogen is going to be the answer for all those areas? The the large the ships and the and the planes. It could be. It could be. I mean, right now, unfortunately, it takes a lot of power to make the hydrogen. It's true there's yeah. no emissions other than water. They're coming. Um, they're coming fast though, and their stocks are are doing well. And and I mean, there's a lot going on in hydrogen. Yeah, hy- hydrogen is promising, and 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 we should also note that uh, nuclear uh, is experiencing some new research that uh, looks into things other than uranium to produce the power. Uranium is why we have meltdowns and genetic mutations and and all the scary stuff. But if we were to use thorium instead, we would have something that doesn't have the same storage problems, doesn't have the meltdown capacity. Um, So there's a lot of great investment going on there too. That, that I found I found that fascinating the, about thorium uh, as a as a nuclear source. Uh, <clears throat> before we get out of here, and and I, I, I we've got to talk about food and and at least at least red meat. <clears throat> and I've mm. got I've got your uh, I've got your uh, uh, let's see this is this is out of your book. A lot of people say that cattle farts are the problem which is hilarious but not accurate. It's mostly burps, as much as 12 gallons of gas an hour per cow. And then in your, in your, uh, in, in, in Dave's speak, you said if you burped that much, you'd be asked to leave the restaurant or the relationship. <laughs> but half, half of the up-burped greenhouse gas is methane, which is you know, many times worse than CO2. Yeah, red, red meat is oh my gosh. I mean, I I literally have not voluntarily eaten beef since I wrote the book. Red well, meat I mean, is you're saying, the you're, worst. Yeah, you're saying that that the red meat creatures make up 27% of all methane produced by human activity, more than the yep. fossil fuel industry, more than all those petroleum plant leaks and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And here's I didn't another realize one for it was you. that bad. Yeah, the one-third of all the non-ice land surface of the entire planet we've dedicated to cattle grazing. One-third of all the land on Earth. They are resource pigs, cows are. Uh, The amount of water and feed and land they require are way out of whack with the amount of nutrition they actually deliver. So the more we can, I mean, and, and look, I'm not saying everyone go be vegetarian. I mean, although it's not a bad idea. But even if we moved our beef consumption to a couple times a week from five times a week or do what the, what's called the protein flip, instead of thinking of dinner as a slab of beef surrounded by some accompanying other foods, think of it the other way. Think of some bites of beef in your stew, in, uh, in your pasta, in your casserole, in your stir-fry, instead of it being the main ingredient. David, I have a feeling this book will be on lots of bookshelves in the coming years, probably part of everyone's <laughs> go-bag as well. It, w- <laughs> it was clearly an enormous project. You point out that many people were involved with helping you compile all this crucially needed information. Yeah, it was it was really a thrill. I, I not a single scientist turned me down and nobody cut me off for time. It was, you know, they don't they don't profit from from helping me out with this. Uh it was just a really wonderful experience and as with you in this show, uh it made me feel like I was doing something about the problem and that that made me feel good. Thanks so much for doing this for us all. Thanks for taking the time here today to talk about it. The best of luck to you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay, bud. David Pogue's book is How to Prepare for Climate Change, A Practical Guide to Surviving the Chaos. And that's exactly what it is. And all of us are going to need it as part of our futures 
as nature disintegrates around us. It can easily be found. You need it for yourself. You should get it for your friends and family as well. They will thank you. I'm going to end the show as I began it with a direct quote from the end of David Pogue's book. Here it is. It's too late to stop what we started. For the rest of our lifetimes, our children's and their children's, the great ice sheets will keep melting. The sea levels will keep rising. The hurricanes will grow more deadly. Water will become more precious. More wildfires will burn out of control, and the weather overall will get hotter and more violent. Thanks to ticks and mosquitoes, disease will become a more familiar part of our lives. Thanks to the seasonal patterns, we can expect more animals to go extinct. Unquote. All of which is why I am calling this series of author interviews Suicide Earth, because we're not just killing us. <laughs> 